that, would you please welcome Chris and Aline Whitney. Now, if you guys had an evil heart, you'd start talking and then you'd freeze and you just hold that position and they'd be you know, wondering about... Wait, I never the, thought of that. Oh, that's, yeah, I, yeah. I've, um, I've spoken into mics before going, hey, ah, yep, ah, just to mess with the people, but not Dave, because <laughs> Dave knows where I live. Yes. Um, everybody has a story, and we all know we're supposed to feed the poor, but you guys are actually doing it, and that interests me, because stories are important to me. Mm-hmm. What happened in your life that made you want to do this? Um, well, we have three daughters, and they're older now, 33, 30, and 28, but our middle daughter, 31, she just turned 31, um, when I was pregnant, I was uh, four months pregnant, and they told me um, that there was an issue, so we came to the uh, doctor and the ultrasound, and the ultrasound doctor wrote books about ultrasounds, so he started scanning my stomach and scanning, and And more people came in, more people came in. I'm like, something's wrong. So all of a sudden, the doctor puts the paddle down, and he said, we've got a problem. He said, your child has spina bifida. It's one of the largest I've ever seen. The the baby will never walk, always be in a wheelchair. And we're just stunned, because we didn't expect anything, right? So um, so that was a really rough day. Finally, Chris just said that night, Chris said, okay, he goes, are we going to uh, belly up and die, or are we going to fight for what we know is true? That's my husband, which I appreciate that. <laughs> it was kind of like a spiritual slap in the face. And I said, we're going to fight. So when she was born, um, she came out, and I was, um, all these doctors were in the room, and, and I did a C, they had a C-section, and um, she came out, and they said, she's moving her toes, she's kicking her feet. And we were just so grateful. So um, they let me kiss her. They took her away, and um, she had a five vertebra opening, and in the ultrasound, we um, saw the vertebras in that sack, and so um, when she was born, they took the sack off of her back, and God put every vertebra back in place, and it was just spinal fluid and nerve endings in that sack, so it was a total miracle, um, but during that time, when, um, right when we delivered Sarah, uh, Chris was working in construction at the time, and um, it was a, the ice storm that St. Louis hadn't had in ages, and they said, nobody be on the street, you know, or nobody go to the hospital, or I mean, nobody go out on the roads, and we were at the hospital every day, because Sarah was in the neonatal for three weeks, um, but Chris was in construction, and there was no work to be had because of the ice storm, so um, he basically lost his job. And uh, we had to go bankrupt because of all the doctor bills and everything, and um, we lost everything we had. So when we talk about One Gen Away, I was in that food line. I was there, um, you know, trying to get as much food as we could to feed our family. And um, so I, my encouragement is to anyone and everyone is it's only a season. You know, when you're in that, in the moment, you feel like it's going to last forever. But... Really, it's just a season, and that's what we try to encourage people when we and when they come and get food, and when we pray with them, and just talk to them and hear their stories. And we're like, it's just a season. So that's how it started. 
That's a, however, <clears throat> somehow, you took your situation and you applied energy to it, and that changed the trajectory. And, and that interests me because everybody here can nod along with what you're saying. Everybody here can say, we've seen miracles, we understand, that's really nice. Yet we're not doing what you're doing. And I'm not asking you to, to elevate yourself above another. I just, mm -hmm. something in you clicked. What? Well, I think when we got saved, it was kind of that way. We, um, um, we were both raised Catholic. Elaine was a devout, what I'd say, a devout Catholic. Went to Catholic school, went to church every Sunday. I was a barely, barely a C&E Catholic, which meant Christmas and Easter. So I kind of went to church at Christmas and Easter, maybe. That was about my extent of church. Um, so when we got, I, I actually prayed with somebody when I was 21 years old at a job site because I just wanted him to shut up. He was so relentless, you know, and I just wanted him to leave me alone. And, and uh, it took four years for it to take. So it tends to tell you my stubbornness of my personality. But uh, so when we first started going, when we really gave our heart to Christ, we were kind of apathetic about church. You know, we'd kind of go if we wanted to. And finally, I just looked at Elaine. I said, we're either going to do this or we're not. I, I have kind of this, don't, don't watch her right now. But anyway, I kind of have this all-in personality. No, and so you don't have that. <laughs> and... Uh, so I just, we just decided we were going to be all in, and that's what we did. We dove all in. And uh, I think the thing that happens in society today is we are paralyzed by choice because there's so many options. And the other thing is we talk about things so much that we think we did it. <laughs> oh, I like that line. Okay. You know, we just keep talking and talking about it. We never do anything, really, but we talk about it so much that we've convinced ourselves that we've done something. But if there's no fruit visible, we've done nothing. We're similar to the fig tree that Jesus cursed. It's a fig tree. Looks like it should be bearing fruit, but there's nothing there. So there is a fig tree, but there's just nothing on it. And it's kind of like... We've, we're Christians, but there's, no, there's nothing evident in our life that, sh life that shows any fruit. And I'm not trying to be mean by saying that. I'm really not. It's just the practicality of it. Um, I'm a very simple guy, um, and so I'm, I'm practical. I, I, I preach in, you all have heard me, I preach in stories and things because I think we're visual people and you need to hear or see a story or a picture. And so that picture resonates with me. And I think for us, we understood that um, the Bible became so real to us. I just read it. It changed my life. But if you couldn't see a change in my life, then it hasn't changed my life. Mm. Does that make sense? It does. And so I think that's but, what caused us. Well, and also, um, so I went to work uh, for the first time. I was a stay-at-home mom for 18 years. And we moved here to Tennessee to start a church, which we did. And out of that church birthed the ministry of One Generation Away. Okay. So I um, was working for the first time out of the home. And I worked at um, this place that helped rent rental assistance. And um, you know, we had bread. A second harvest guy would come and give bread to us. And so I was just amazed by that. For all the people that we served would get as much bread as they wanted. So one day we were talking, and he said, hey, he said, um, I could bring, Second Harvest can bring a tractor trailer load of food in a parking lot and feed people. And it, I was just like, wait, what? And I said, I'm going to go tell my husband. So we dug into that more, and finally um, we became a partner with Second Harvest. 
And, um, and that's kind of where it started and how it started. Um, but you can tell about how yeah. one gen way. So there's a couple things about that. Back to what Patrick asked me. Um, my next book, if I write it, which I know I'm supposed to, so I'm doing this to you so you can make me write it, is going to be on obedience. Um, obedience is what lacks in the church. Obedience takes action and it takes follow through. And so um, there's a couple key scriptures about that. Isaiah 119, if you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. Notice it's not either or, it's both. And that's a whole other sermon for another day. But just break that down when you think about it on your own. In 1 Samuel 15, 23, it says, Obedience is better than sacrifice, which was such a profound statement because sacrifice was the only way. The only access they had to forgiveness or anything was sacrifice. And so obedience is better than sacrifice. The unique thing about obedience, it always involves sacrifice. Sure. <laughs> That's why very few people do that. Go ahead. You I was just going to um, tell them about how one gen. Yeah, so I, I, I'm tying that into one okay. gen. So we came here Sorry. to start a church. There, there's a method to why I'm telling you all this. We came here to start a church, so we didn't know a soul, had no financial support. Wasn't but, the brightest move, but we were obedient. Yeah, but it, but it, was, a, it was a step of obedience. Only two people I knew in the world, one was from England, and well, one was a missionary in England, the other one was from England. So it takes some Europeans to, to really tell That's you the right. truth. Fair enough. You know, I mean, they, they <laughs> literally just looked at me and said, this is the hardest thing you will ever do in your life. One, one of my friends said that was a missionary in England for years um, and Africa said that it is like clawing a church out of the side of a mountain with your bare hands. And he was exactly right. But in that, when we got here, so I had, the only thing I knew about food was I liked to eat it. It wasn't, I wasn't in the food industry, anything like that. But just remembering, um, so when, when, when we wanted to do something as a church, we were a little bitty church, 15 people. We went to Mid-Cumberland Community Action Agency and said, how can we help? And they said, you could build a wheelchair ramp. We said, sure. We didn't know how to build one. We've never built one. It was a brilliant. We never built a wheelchair ramp. But we found out they did commodities. Four times a year, they would give away food to the poor, and mostly elderly. So we would go to Mid-Cumberland Community Action Agency, a, gov a federal government-funded agency. That's where I was working at the and time. She was working. So we would bag these commodities, and then we would put them in a grocery cart, take them outside, and put them in someone's car. And I thought, I'm in a public parking lot. I could pray with them. So I would just ask them, is there anything I can pray with you about today? That's where OneGen started. Not even knowing OneGen was going to exist yet, but looking back, it's funny how God prepared us for a ministry to start. But we started to see the effect of that. So I tell people, I never dreamed of a one gen when we moved here. That's, but see, God didn't need me to know about one gen to, to move here. He needed me to move here first. Does that make sense? So what I want to encourage you, God will let you believe whatever you want to believe to get you where he needs to get you so he can do with you what he wants to do with you. Think about that for a minute. I came here to pastor a church, so I'm going to pastor a church. And God was like, that's great, just go. <laughs> I don't care, just go. And we did. But really what he wanted me to do and us to do was to start one gen away. And so we had to yield. So I had to learn humility I had to humble myself to my preconceived notions, yield to the voice of God, 
This is an easy process. It's not an easy process, you know, is, and, but it's a worthwhile, it wasn't an easy process for Jesus. He's, he's in the garden sweating blood. I mean, the, the pressure is immense, but obedience was worth it because he saw what was on the other side. Hey, tell them um, what I wanted to get to. That's amazing, obviously, but tell them about one Jen and how you were praying one day and when yeah, we were here. So I, I, um, we're big on prayer. I mean, it's a big deal to us. Uh, we are the church we, we got saved in. We had prayer meetings and we never missed a prayer meeting. We, we just learned about praying and the importance of prayer. And so I was praying one day here and God dropped the phrase in my heart one generation away. And as Patrick talked about cassette tapes, what about eight tracks? Oh, horrid. Oh, horrid. they were horrific. The they? Yeah, you, you, you couldn't, yeah, you couldn't fix them. You know, you can anyway, but that's a whole nother that dates tells you how far back I go. And so I remember pagers, you know, remember pagers when you had to go find a payphone somewhere because there were no cell phones, you know? And, uh, so I just reserved the domain name cause I didn't know what else to do. And uh, God started to speak to me. And so, uh, the first thing he reminded me of was my oldest daughter who at the time was about nine years old. She was 16 at the time, but about nine years old flashback to her pr- watching a special on Dr. King weeping on the floor. And I'm like, I thought like she got bit by 27 spiders or something, you know, like she's crying. I'm like, Lauren, what's wrong? And she just looks up and goes, dad, why are they spraying the brown people? Mm-hmm. It's such a profound thing. You know, first you might say, well, didn't the kid go to school when she educated, but she just had no concept of color of a human being being different than what she was. And that's when I felt like God said, we're a generation away from eliminating racism. There's a generation of children that don't see color as a barrier. And please don't say you're colorblind. That's such a terrible thing to say. That means you're missing out on the diversity, the beauty, the, the color of life. And if you are, I'm sorry. My son-in-law is colorblind. So it, he, he can't, God bless him, he couldn't dress himself if he wanted to, you know, so he just would be all messed up. And, but... Um, and then the, the next thing was uh, my passion for the church. I have this love-hate relationship with the church. I try to be really honest about this. I love the church for who she should be. I despise the church for who she is. So d- don't judge me. It's just the way I feel. And I, I, I could never understand why, as churches, we don't play together. We don't work together. We don't serve together. And so that was such a passion of my heart. So it was a generation away from eliminating racism and denominationalism. And there is a mainline denomination at a church. I went and spoke to their elders and they, you know, we want to sponsor a food distribution, yada, yada. And I went and spoke with them and I I figured out a way to offend them. So it was nice. You know, when I said end denominationalism, they thought I wanted to end their denomination and they were just like livid. And I'm like, I really don't care about the name on your building. You missed the point. It's not about the name on your building. It's about the kingdom. And then the last one was Miss Rena, who was in our parking lot. She would help us sign in commodities. Miss Rena was early 70s, I'm guessing. Beautiful, just regal. Do you know what I mean? Just had this aura and dignity Mm -hmm. and honor about her that was just so beautiful. She's in the food line one day, and she's got a little bench, and She's like, Pastor Chris, thank you for this food. And I go, Miss Rena, you're welcome. And she goes, no, really, thank you. I go, no, no, really, it's no big deal. This is what we do. She goes, you just don't understand. Now I can buy my medicine. Wow. Seventh wealthiest county, United States of America. She lives in Franklin, 
and she's deciding between food and medicine. And we're sitting in a building somewhere going, I just don't know what we can do to serve this community. I don't know what we could do to be Jesus. And I'm going, my God, it's everywhere. They're just right here, like in our backyard. People are making a life and death decision over a commodity. People are feeding their animals before themselves, which isn't good for the animal because that food's not good for them. And they, and they can't take, it's just crazy that we're, we're clamoring for something to do. And it's like, once again, maybe that's part of the doer in me, Yeah. but it, it's, it's just more like start just somewhere. getting out of the walls of the church and getting into the community and getting your hands dirty, basically, and just helping others and serving others. So that's really how One Gen came about. And I like that because, and you, you're, you're absolutely correct about how we, we think about things and then we think we did them. It, that's the hashtag culture. Yes, you know, it is. You know, I, you know, hashtag feed the poor. You know, and, yes. and you're going, and they feel they've done something. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, or they'll take a picture with a thing that says, you know, feeding, you know, we, you know, feed the poor, be nice, and they think they've done something. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, you know, social media is not real. You know, no, and, it's it's, not. And, and therefore, no, you've not done anything. But one of the things that this church is, um, first of all, is we're a church without those walls doctrinally as well. Yes. Um, therefore, we don't have a, a denomination. We are just open arms, just whoever. Mm-hmm. If the, and, and in fact, I even say, if you believe in Jesus, you're one of us. And if you don't, it, you're one of us too. Amen. Right? Amen. You're yeah. still That's one right. of his children. Absolutely. You don't mm-hmm. have to believe in God. God believes in you. He'll take care of this, you know, and we yes. believe it. But since we are scattered all over, and the green dots, by the way, if you're wondering where the cameras are, that's them. Uh, just uh, they're, they're looking around at the people in the room, and so people in the yeah, I don't want to counter waving around. Sorry. No, one that we love one generation, and and again the the video uh, we will sh- show it eventually, but also um, like to talk to you about putting that up on our website so that people with direct links to you, because there's story there and there's visual there mm-hmm. that was quite important. I, I was impressed by a lot of things when I first met the Whitneys, um, but it was it was the creative way of getting fresh food to the poor. Because when I was a boy, the poor got cans of hominy. I remember that in Appalachia. I, I would look to it and I said, "What's what's a hominy? <laughs> you know, how do you kill it and clean it? You know, and that sort of thing." And and once they explained it to me, it wasn't any better. <laughs> at all. Well, yeah. there, there'd be instant grits. I was and I would say until it crushed it and became grits, right? And, and still of no value. Uh, grits, let's just, I don't, I don't need the emails. Grits taste like what you put on them. <laughs> put cheese on them, they taste like cheese. You put pepper on them, they taste like pepper. You put nothing on them, they taste like a fork. <laughs> and then to see you guys and there are, there are green vegetables, there are yellow and, and orange vegetables, there's fresh bread, there's, and I know you partnered, uh, you've been very creative and God has sent his spirit through you, you partnered with, um, uh, I think Nissan, or Nissan, sorry, mm-hmm. um, and companies and restaurants and grocery stores to salvage food that would have been wasted, mm-hmm. but is still really good. It's not out of date food. No, gosh, right. no. Um, and that's, that's a huge mm. difference. And so what I'm going to ask you to do, I'm going to check. We got plenty of time. We'll, um, how can the people who are watching make this a scalable thing? In other words, some of them are individuals in places mm-hmm. like Turkey 
and Armenia, you're not going to put up a cross, and you're not. Yeah. So how can they participate? But also, 60 cities in Texas have homes that are. Many of them have many people in the homes that are watching. Others will be couch church with two people. So talk to me about how this might be scalable. What can they do? Wow, that's a great question. So let me start with overseas, Turkey, Armenia, places like that. I've been to Honduras. We're getting ready to go to the Dominican to help them rescue food. So even in these poor countries, there are grocery stores. Yes. <laughs> so go to a grocery store and say, what do you do with your leftovers? More than likely, they throw them away. Which or is the bad. food getting ready to yeah. go out of date. Maybe it has three more days left. Or... You know, right. and it's perfectly edible, So, which is bad for the environment because it releases some form of gas, and that's bad for the environment. And, and please don't email me that I'm a tree hugger or whatever, I'm, but I'm a steward of the environment. I'm just being yeah, real. I'm absolutely. a steward of the environment. And I think as the church, we need to start taking that seriously. If there's something I can do to protect the environment, which means helping someone else, that is like really simple, isn't it? I can give somebody fresh food. If we want to change the health of our nation, we need to teach people how to eat fresh food and more things, which is going to, it's just going to, it just has, with God, everything replicates and expounds. And so I look at food that way. So um, I would encourage you, go to a grocery store and just get a box or whatever they give you and then take it somewhere where you know there's a need. We started out of the back of a car and we would go into the public housing projects here in Franklin and literally go door to door and give the food away. We know the yeah. need's there. So we did like the big food giveaways. You know how you guys have always been there to help us too, which we love. But we would feed 300 families in one parking lot within like four hours it was done. Um, but then when we started rescuing food, it was different. So we'd go to all these different, um, you know, grocery stores. And so we'd fill our car up and then we would just go in the neighborhood and open it up and say, if you need food, just come and get it for free. And that's really how that became, okay. that started. Yeah. That's... Now we have people to pick up and give all, we, we give to 54 ministries every week. So, uh, we take that to different homeless shelters and, uh, different food pantries and stuff all over Middle Tennessee. We have we have four first responders. Those are what you would call our drivers, but they're more than drivers. They're they're ambassadors. They're they're sharing the gospel, loving on people that are in stores in the backs of stores, and then they're loving people. So the day we the day our first responders rescue food, the day they get it, it's on someone's table that night. Okay. That's. That's the beauty of what God's taught us to do. I'd love to tell you I was that smart. I'm just not. <laughs> but I think but, it's but, that simple, though, right? Yes. For people all over the world, you could go into a grocery store or restaurant, say, if you have anything that you, know, you can't use anymore, let us take it, and then just give it, just like we did. Open it up in a parking lot or take it to somebody that you know is in need. Or, you know, there, it's, it's interesting because once we started doing this, we didn't realize that, you know, you think the people of the you know, poor or not in America, right? But they're everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So it could be your neighbor that might need food. And you have no idea. So just kind of get out in the community and see who needs it, right? Your friends or anybody well, that needs it. And, and people we work with struggle with transportation issues. So it's like we learned that if we could take it, who much is given, much is required. So if we could take it to them, it made it simple. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. It, it made it really easy. 
but it also opened up a door for the gospel because I'm unconditionally serving you. I am going out of my way intentionally to serve you, which opens up this great door for the gospel because it, it lowers mm-hmm. barriers. So anywhere in the world you can do that. You can bring a gift, which is called food, which is, a, is if, if I've ever read, it's on the bottom of every pyramid of need, food and water. So it's like you're giving a necessity for life. And Jesus is life. So here we have a tangible thing of a life, which is food. But then we also have this thing called the gospel, which we, we introduce with this simple question. Is there anything I can pray with you about today? And to be honest, that's why we started. We started because we wanted to pray with people. And we thought, well, food's the vehicle. Then we realized how much hunger there was in the world. So we're just trying to end hunger. And, and let me say this, and Patrick would understand that maybe some of you too. I've passed out tracks literally in 15 countries around the world. I've, I've used that. Do you know where you're going to go when you go to, you know, when you die? Do you know if you're, you know, and then you're, do you know you're going to go to hell? Whatever. Gosh, forgive me, Lord. I'm sorry. I should have never done that probably. But, it, but the simple question of, hey, is there anything I can pray with you about? What you're doing is acknowledging there's another need and you want to be a bridge mm-hmm. to be an answer to that need. There's nothing greater than that for me. And that's, that's the genesis of, of One Gen Away. The other side, locally. So when I dreamed this, this is how you pray for Elaine, if you want to know how to pray for her. When I dreamed this was feed we a, do. We do. Yes, <laughs> just to feed a million people on a Saturday morning around the country and a million people being prayed with face-to-face by the local church. Whatever that church is. Mm-hmm. Presbyterian, yeah. Baptist, I don't care. That's what I'm going to be prayed. I want them to be loved on by the local church. So we're replicating in Alabama and in Florida right now. So our passion is to replicate around the country. So some of you may be like, man, I don't know. This just seems overwhelming. Well, we'd love to walk alongside you and give you a model to make it happen. (laughs) I mean, we've got this thing worked out. And we're just watching God open door after door after door for us. Some guy in Alabama just wants to give us a warehouse. And it's like... you know, and you just go, okay, well, Lord, I guess we'll take a warehouse. I don't know. You know, I mean, it's, it's neat all over. Yeah, We're not trying to overthink no. this, but we want to help people just do the next right thing. And if it's not food, you know, where your passion is, is where your heart is. Find out what you're passionate about and just start doing it. I mean, that sounds really simple, but it's just that easy. Well, even if you just bake, love to bake cookies, then just go give them to people in need, you know? So, I mean, you might not do a huge food distribution, but every single person could do something, right? We, we started with a Hyundai Santa Fe, <laughs> so we couldn't get a lot in there. Well, one day it was so full you couldn't even see me. I mean, I, you couldn't even fit a piece of paper in that thing. I was just covered with food, and we would just open up and just give it to people. So anyone could really do that. Yeah, we, we did that in West Virginia. Um, we had a, a small seniors group that met in the morning because they couldn't come out at night driving the mountain roads. And so I asked them, what are you guys doing for the community? And they were going, basically, they're done, they're retired, you know, we did it. I said, no, you guys know how to make cookies. You know, you learned how before everything was taste-free, fat-free, sugar-free. Yes, you know, it was exactly. good They're stuff. real cookies. Yeah, they taste like heaven, they'd get you there sooner, that's what we want. <laughs> yes, amen. And so what happened was each week they'd make cookies, and we'd take them to the sheriff's department, we'd take them to the fire mm-hmm. department, we'd take them to the troopers. For 10 years, I couldn't get a ticket in West Virginia. Uh, no, no matter what happened, it was like, oh, the cookie guy, go, go. But it was a little thing. And I wish I could tell you that we had this massive fruit from that. We, two in 10 years, 
started coming to church and were baptized, but we don't know what we don't know. Exactly. Absolutely. Right. We don't know mm-hmm. what else God's done. And you guys are, are heroes to us, and we're very, very proud of um, what you're doing, who you are. A little humbled because all of us have heard and said, you know, that's a great idea, God. Best of luck finding someone. You know, I've done it, Tim, many times. Yeah, me too. Even starting this, I had no intention. I was um, thinking, all right, back to academia. I've got to make another. And some people in this room grabbed me day one and said, no, there's something else. And as they will tell you, I told them, no, it won't work. That's crazy. Um, And I think we fought that for a few months, just going, nope crazy and then it will all be over when COVID's over well (laughs) (laughs) um it it just i I have the feeling god i'm not going to say god has left the building because i truly believe he's still in all those buildings Mm -hmm. but i do believe that he's shown us it's possible to move it's possible Mm -hmm. to do something else we want you back and we want you back often to tell us stories Mm -hmm. to challenge us and people when you give here the literally the first meeting we brought up one generation away, and GraceWorks. Uh, those two popped up, saying, we know these people. They run a, a lean, efficient ship, we, but they do different things, and we want to help them. And some of you are helping, as, we, as I read from the Markhams, putting people in trade school in Uganda. Are you kidding me? That's brilliant. I got emails this week from uh, people who are working in shelters for do, uh, abused women, domestic violence victims. And not asking for anything, but basically saying, you ask what we're doing, we can do this. And so all of these little ideas, all of these great things, and you basically just give people permission and say, go do it. But we can only do it when we're all gathered as one. And Mm -hmm. so I'm going to ask you to lead us in communion. And girls, could you bring up communion cups for our friends here and for me? And then... After this, we'll do our song and prayer, but please hang about and look up on our website. There's a link to One Gen Away. Make sure you know all about it, and we'll get the video working. The video is great. It's our, we're, we're learning new systems, so thank you for your patience. You know, if I could say something, Patrick, what you said about church, you know, so I had a couple pastors, as you can well know, thought I was half crazy when I said I was going to step away from the church we had planted. Oh, thank you. And... Um, but I've had people now say, my church is in a parking lot on Saturday morning. <laughs> That's literally people call that their church. And it, there was a time when I was so institutionalized, I would have said, there's no way that's a church. But I pastor, we pastor a church in a parking lot all over the place on a Saturday morning. And, and it's where people get to be Jesus. And I think that's the thing. And let me say really what's important to me, and we're going to talk about this as part of communion, is... Uh, bringing dignity and honor back to a segment of our society that has been suppressed. What we're doing with food is bringing dignity. It's hard to receive Jesus if you don't have dignity. It's hard to receive anything when you don't have dignity. And so all we're trying to do is do what Jesus did for us and bring dignity. And as Patrick asked me about communion this morning, I thought about 1 Corinthians 11. I thought it was so apropos. And I'll say one other thing. When Patrick did the, the story this morning, I was literally reading Deuteronomy 15 last night. And Matthew, I was like, 
man, this would make a great, you know, this is like a great sermon. And, and, and I didn't ask him what he, you know, like he never asked me and I didn't ask him, but I just thought it was how God connects all the dots. But in 1 Corinthians 11, you know, Paul's given instructions about the Lord's Supper. And uh, he, he starts out in verse 17 saying, now in giving these instructions, I did not praise you since you come together, not for better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you and in part, I believe it. For there, are almost, there, for there must be factions among you, but those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it's not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others. One is hungry and another is drunk. What, do you not eat, have houses to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and the shame, those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. What Paul was saying is, it was such a class-driven society so you've got poor people, rich people coming together. The rich people have resources, the poor don't, and they're just eating in front of them and not, it, they were belittled, they were lower than them, so they didn't acknowledge them. And I love Patrick's stories about, you know, the beggars and people like that, because it's, you know, when did we see you, when did we see you in prison? When did we see you naked? It's in those people, I believe, we see Jesus. On, a, on Yesterday morning, we served 270 cars. We had over 350 cars. We had to turn 80 cars away, which is gut-wrenching. But we saw a 1,000 Jesuses yesterday. A 1,000 Jesuses yesterday we saw. You want to know why I get up at 5.30 on a Saturday morning, go stand outside when it's 13 degrees? Because there's a thousand Jesuses waiting for us to serve them. And really what it is, there's a thousand Jesuses waiting to pour into us. Amen? Amen. So as we think about that this morning, um, man, my wife's awesome. Yes, yes, you know, she knows I'd probably spill it on me. So as, as we take of this communion this morning, you know, Paul later on says to examine ourselves. I think we tend to over, we, we tend to sledgehammer ourselves. You know, it's like we have this weird thing about this beating ourselves up. And I believe when Paul says examine yourselves, it's not to beat you up. There's conviction, which comes from the Holy Spirit. I used to tell parents with teenagers, pray conviction over your children because it won't kill them, but it sure will change them. And so... I believe when we examine ourselves, it's, it's praying, God, reveal in me what, I, what you want me to do that I'm not doing. Reveal to me what I'm doing well and how to do it better. Does that make sense? So it's not a beat up. It's just a self. It's an introspective look at your heart and to say, God, how can maybe today you're thinking because of what we're talking about, how can I serve those in need better? And it needs not what you think it looks like. It could be an, a, a guy drove up in a Mercedes yesterday. A guy drove up, you know, one of the stories we had was a guy at a distribution, my former board chair walked up. He's got a, a fairly new Escalade, you know, a Cadillac SUV, big, huge man. And, the, and the, the short end of the story is, you know, he was, he was my, my board chair's being really judgmental right now. Like, What's he doing here? And the guy, and he says, is there anything I can pray with you about? And he said, yeah, um, my boss was killed, and he bought this car for me, and now I sleep in it. Wow. It's amazing what happens when you ask a question, isn't it? <laughs> There's more to the story. So as we partake of this body that was broken, he's wounded for our trans transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, and by his stripes he was heal we are healed. 
It purchased our healing. It was, it was part of the, uh, the cost was the beating of a body, of his body. But I believe he was beat for us so that we don't have to beat ourselves. Amen? He's redeemed us. So let's partake of that body. In the blood of the Lamb. Mm. His blood was shed for the remission of sin. Can I encourage you in something? Whatever your first name is, your last name is, you can translate in any language, and trust me, it doesn't translate to Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost came, the Holy Spirit came to convict the world of sin. You do not have to convict people of sin. Let me just help you right now. Those watching, please hear what I'm saying. It's not your responsibility to convict the world of sin. It's just your responsibility to love them unconditionally. That's what Jesus did when he shed his blood on Calvary. He loved us unconditionally. Let's receive that love this morning. Hallelujah. Father, thank you for this amazing church. I love this church. It's just so cool. Wow. How you use something as Christians we curse called the internet. And you never meant it to be for evil, but evil's just evil. It's always going to find a way to work its way in, just like the wheat and the tares. But God, you made the internet for our safe harbor to reach the world with the love, the grace, and mercy of Jesus Christ. So we pray as we partake of communion this morning that we would be obedient disciples and that you would be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. We just want to thank you guys, too, for all your love, all your support. Um, I know you're there all the time. You guys came to the Radiothon to help us. Everywhere we go, you guys are supporting us. And we just want to say thank you from the bottom of our hearts.